In the name of God, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to focus um, today on the last sentence of the reading that we have from St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, where he talks about Jesus Christ, um, whom God raised from the dead and saves us from the wrath that is coming. And I want to talk about the wrath. Well, I actually don't want to talk about the wrath of God, but it's in the Bible, so I have to talk about it. The wrath of God. Um, we have to understand what the wrath of God is. And um, the wrath of God is not some uncontrollable emotion in God. It's not God in a snit of rage or something like that. I'm capable of having a snit of rage. I don't know whether you are, but, you know, people are capable, most people are capable of losing their temper, having a snit, um, being, we, maybe we say that's wrathful. Well, that's not the wrath of God. That, and to ascribe that to God would be anthropomorphism. That would be saying that he's like us, but God says to us, my ways are not your ways. He's, he's not like us. Well, Jesus Christ the Lord is like us in every way except that he did not sin. The wrath of God is, is the form of God's love when God's people reject him and are in utter rebellion against him. The wrath of God is the judgment of the loving God who has hold of his people and will not let them go even in their disobedience, their rebellion, their wickedness, and their evil. And the, and the purpose of the wrath of God is that it would bring us to the place of repentance, where we would come to the Lord in repentance and turn to him again in faith and receive the abundant blessings of his love, which he desires to give us. But when we turn away from that, he will not let us go. And even though he's a holy and a righteous God, and even though he must hate evil, and he must be implacably opposed to our sin and wickedness, nevertheless, he will not let us go. And the primary revelation of that love that will not let us go is in the cross of Jesus Christ the Lord. I'll say more about that in a moment. But this dynamic between the love of God, between, between judgment and mercy, between wrath and forgiveness, and how these are all dimensions and aspects of the, what the Bible calls the long-suffering love of God is brought out in the, in the reading that we have from the Old Testament this morning. In the reading from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the king of Persia, Cyrus. And he's telling the king of Persia that he is going to be God's instrument in restoring and renewing his people. Here's the story. God calls the Jewish people to be his special people. He's going to reveal himself to them. He's going to show them who he is. He's going to give them a holy and a righteous way of life. And he's calling them to be a a light to the nations. You know, in the Bible, nations, uh, goyim is the, uh, is the Hebrew, and 
ethne, we get the word ethnicity from it, is the Greek word. And it doesn't mean nation states like we think of nations. It means all the different kinds of peoples that there are. It means every family of people that you can think of. So God's got one family, through that family, he's gonna reach all the families and make one family. So he rescues them from slavery. He gives them a holy and a righteous way of life. He leads them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the day. He feeds them with manna from heaven. He pushes their enemies out of their way. He opens up the waters of the Jordan River so they can go into the Holy Land. He gives them the Holy Land. He gives them the Holy City. He gives them a holy temple where God meets with his people. And there they are to be a city set on upon a hill, a light up to the nations. And when they get there, they, having the same human nature that we have, do what human beings do. We turn aside from the one true and living God, and we turn to gods of our own making, gods that we make with our own hands to serve our own purposes. And that's what the Bible calls an idol. We live in a skeptical age, and a lot of people think that the great Drama is the drama between belief and unbelief. The drama is not between belief and unbelief. The drama is between God and the gods. You will worship something. You will sacrifice to something. You will, you will orient your life around something. It will be the living God or it will be a God substitute, an idol. The service of the idols is always cruel. And they always demand human blood and usually starting with the blood of children. They come into the Holy Land and they, and they, go, after the, they go after the idols. They, go as the, uh, they commit adultery, is how the prophets put it. Now, when we turn aside from the one true and living God to the worship of one of the idols, it's always cruel, it's always debasing, it's always degrading, it always involves violence against self and violence against others. But it also always involves wickedness and corruption. And so they have personal wickedness, they have every kind of wickedness you can think of, personal, sexual, social, um, the, uh, the, the regime is corrupt, the kings are corrupt, the courts are corrupt. There's one kind of justice for poor people and another kind of justice for rich people, the business practices are corrupt. The whole thing is rotten from top to bottom. God will not let his people go. And so he sends his prophets to speak his word to his people. And the word is a word of judgment and mercy. It's the word of the living God and of the loving God. The word the prophets speak in judgment is meant to turn the people back to their God so that God can bless them. And they say things like, if you keep going on the way that you're going, the wrath of God, the judgment of God will fall upon you. And they, for the most part, they don't listen to the prophets. Occasionally they do and there's a respite, but for the most part, they don't listen to the prophets. Jesus says in the New Testament, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, always killing the prophets. And sure, sure enough, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and disaster falls upon them. And in the 700s, the Assyrian nation rises up 
Now, one of the things that the Bible says is that kings vaunt themselves, but it's God who raises up one kingdom and casts down another. And the Assyrian kingdom is raised up and becomes the great uh, imperial power in that part of the world. And you may remember that after Solomon, when Solomon's son became the king, Solomon was a harsh king. His son was even harsher, and because of that, there was a civil war. The kingdom broke in half. There was a kingdom in the north and a kingdom in the south. The Assyrians take away all the, they, they conquer the north. They take away all the tribes in the north. They take them into exile into, in Assyria. The south holds out for another hundred years, and then the Babylonians come. They conquer Jerusalem once. They put in a puppet king. They decide to have a coup and rebel against the puppet king. The prophet Jeremiah warns them. If you really want to be restored and renewed as a people, if you really want to see the nation rise again, turn again to God. The king hates what Jeremiah says so much. Jeremiah's secretary writes it down, gives it to the king. The king reads it a little bit at a time and he cuts off a piece of it and throws it into the fire. They put Jeremiah in a pit and they leave him for dead. Jeremiah's prophecy comes true. The revolt fails. Nebuchadnezzar now has lost his patience altogether. The city is, ultimate, is completely destroyed. Not one stone is left upon another of the temple. They chase the king down on the plains outside the city. They capture him. They bring him back. They kill all of his sons before his eyes, and then they put his eyes out. And he and all the best people are led into exile in Babylon. And the psalmist says, there by the banks of, of the rivers of Babylon, we hung our harps in the trees, for how is it possible to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they're under the wrath of God, and they're under the judgment of God. And the wrath of God and the judgment of God are God's love for his people who are in utter rebellion against him, but we, he will not let them go. And, the, and what he's doing is he's bringing them to the place of repentance and renewal. And even while they're being taken away into exile, Cyrus is being born, and the Lord is going to raise up the Persians, and he's going to raise up Cyrus. 570, they go into exile. It takes a generation. The people that there were only a few people left that, could, that, that knew what the old temple looked like when they came back to rebuild a new one. But in 539, Cyrus gives the edict, let them go back. And so they go back under Ezra and Nehemiah. You can read about that. And they rebuild, the, they rebuild the walls of the city. They rebuild the temple. God, in his wrath, is hidden his word of mercy. And in his word of mercy is hidden the word of judgment. And they are both the one word. There's only one word, an, an eternal and only begotten word. There's only one word of long-suffering, seeking, searching love, which has become incarnate in Jesus Christ the Lord. So now he comes the one who is mercy and justice and judgment, who is wrath and forgiveness, 
who is, who is the love of God for his people, the love of the holy and righteous God who hates wickedness, who hates evil, but nevertheless will not let go of his people, even in their utter rebellion of him. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the place where this love of the God who will not let us go is perfectly revealed. We push Jesus, we push God out of our lives. We push him onto the cross. The cross is at one and the same time God's terrible judgment upon our sin and wickedness and rebellion and God's astonishing mercy, forgiveness, and blessing. Hidden within this terrible judgment is the word of mercy, Father, forgive. Hidden within Good Friday is the Easter promise, peace I give to you, shalom, forgiveness, new life, which begins now and which the grave cannot hold. At, at the cross, humankind, human beings, do to death their human dignity in, their, in our utter rebellion and hostility towards God. And God at the same time judges that, shows it for the wickedness that it is, pronounces his terrible judgment upon it, and yet will not let us go with his love and holds on to us. And in and through the cross of Jesus Christ brings us to the place like the people of Israel were brought in Babylon, brings us to the place where we want to go home. where we're ready to turn and to repent and to receive. The gift of God's long-suffering, seeking, searching love, which has become flesh in Jesus Christ the Lord. Later on in this letter that we're reading from St. Paul, the letter to the Thessalonians, he says, for God did not appoint us this is the King James. For God did not appoint us. It's not his ultimate intention. It's not his desire. It's not what his wrath is working. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to salvation through Jesus Christ, whom he raised from the dead, and who saves us from the wrath to come. Therefore, let us offer him a sacrifice of thanksgiving, sing praises, and come into his courts with offerings. In the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.